Hello, this is Unanimous Indecision. I'm Joshua Truman. It is the best day of the week because it's Wednesday, which means we are talking... What are we talking? We're talking Death in the Nile. That's what it's called, right? I keep... Death on the Nile. I have a typo. That's funny. I'll fix that. Death on the Nile. <laughs> Death in the Nile. Um, and uh, yeah, well, that's the movie we'll be reviewing. Of course, I'll be spoiling it as I always do because it's the kind of conversation I like to have. It's like have, talking movies uh, around the water cooler at work, lunch table at school, wherever you talk about movies and TV shows. You just want to talk about every little detail. Also, uh, if this is your first time listening to us, there's many different platforms you can find us on to find whichever one you prefer. Uh, it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts are sold for free. Also, you can join us live on twitch.tv slash unanimous indecision, where you can hop in the live chat and share your thoughts and theories about whatever it is we are talking about. Let me make sure this is actually working because, okay, the timer hadn't started initially, but it looks like we're good. Uh, I wonder if that beats it won't send out. Man, this is Twitch is being annoying, but it's fine. We'll figure it out. Uh, and so I'm just going to jump right into it. Today's show, we're going to talk about a movie. This week is Death on the Nile. And then I will be getting into this past week's movie news, which is, is a doozy. Because if you know anything about the Super Bowl, they tend to drop a lot of trailers in their ad campaigns. So um, should be a fun one to talk about. But to start with Death on the Nile, um, Death on the Nile is a movie that I was highly anticipating last year and into this year. Uh, and although it's like, I don't think it's a bad movie. And I could understand how like people would like supremely enjoy it. It just wasn't spectacular to me. I thought it was kind of underwhelming. Uh, it, it was a little bit disappointing even. I, I don't know. It was just like, it wasn't that interesting. I mean, the middle of the movie is pretty good uh, when they're, they're trying to solve stuff. Like after she gets murdered, uh, it gets like pretty interesting. And then... Um, but I, but I don't think it really sticks its landing. Uh, the the ending is very underwhelming in my opinion, uh, especially when you have like a pretty stellar cast. But it's like the ending of it, the ending of it made sense, and like even the reveal itself, the 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 showmanship of the reveal that every good whodunit movie needs to have with everyone in the room it's so good like it's actually a pretty good scene but then like after the reveal it's such a letdown <laughs> uh i don't know i thought it was like pretty lame after the reveal um because basically the guilty party basically the the guilty party is pointing guns at everyone and everyone's pointing guns at them and then they just decide, well, first they start talking to themselves as if no one can hear them. And they start talking about like, oh, we'll just escape and we'll spend our money on this and this because now we're rich and all this other stuff. And, and then they kill themselves. 
<laughs> and is like, that was weird. Okay. I, it kind of made sense because like, it was like one character. It was weird because it felt like both characters didn't realize the, they lost. They just totally lost. And both characters verbalized that, that, or verbalized the opposite is that like, they were so hopeful for getting out, for continuing their lives together. Um, but then they, then one of them very clearly is like, we're, we're clearly not going to get out of here. Like this is a grim situation. We're going to be separated, thrown into prison and that's going to be the rest of our days. And, um, so decides to make the choice for the both of them to kill them. And it's like, okay. Um, that kind of, kind of makes sense that, it makes sense that at least someone would realize the grim reality of their situation, not necessarily the choice they made afterwards, but like at the beginning of their conversation, they're both in so much denial that they're like talking about how they're going to spend the rest of their lives rich and whatnot. And it's very weird. Uh, and then also one of the guys who basically did attempt murder and was in the process of the accountant was like he attempted murder and was embezzling funds and he kind of got away scot-free as long as he fixed the embezzlements because it's like everyone he attempted to murder died anyways by someone else murdering so <laughs> but like i don't know weird to let him go scot-free in my opinion And then I guess the other guilty party also died. Um, I forget what he was guilty of. He did something. Oh, he stole the necklace, right? Yeah. It, it's a weird movie because there's like several guilty parties of stuff but he's only trying to solve the crime of the murder. So the other ones sort of get forgiven or killed by <laughs> just circumstances. So it's kind of weird, but yeah, I don't know. The ending didn't land for me. Um, it, it took me a while to realize, cause I kind of walked out of the movie and I was like, that, that wasn't as good as I was expecting it to be. And I couldn't really figure out why I couldn't pinpoint it. But I was thinking about it more and more about the story the movie was telling. And while our detective, our inspector, um, Inspector Perot, uh, his story is very important and the lens he views the world in is very important to how he solves these crimes. I felt like the movie maybe focused a bit too much on him. I think where the first one thrived is that it was very much about the murder on the Orient Express and you saw death on the Nile. It was so good. I, I I'm a, that's tricky banana in the chat. Uh, I I'm a bit mid on it. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I shaved it all off. I'm, 
<laughs> cut my hair, shaved my beard, whole new streamer. Uh, and I, I think where this movie suffers for me, because otherwise I think it's got like a pretty good template and like a certainly good enough mystery with some interesting characters that all have nefarious motivations. Uh, a, it kind of feels like too obvious that like, of course, it's the crazy person that did it. Like, <laughs> like there was only one person that was like legitimately insane in the whole group and it's like that's not really a great cover when she's like been premeditating this for weeks months even like two months um also like what a psychopath she planned to kill like her friend even wow the whole thing is crazy but um i guess it is months right um like the characters are all interesting, but the <laughs> the the cr everything around the actual crime is like kind of lame. <laughs> um, whenever the characters are interacting with each other, it's cool, but like the the crime itself is like pretty lame. And I think it's because like this is a whodunit movie. The crime should be the interesting part. And that's where this movie suffers for me. But I think it was distinct choices they made in this movie because Murder on the Orient Express thrives. Um, initially, when I first watched the Murder on the Orient Express, I didn't really care for that one either. But then I rewatched it and really fell in love with it because I realized how much it focuses on the crime when he was just interviewing people as napping heart. Yeah, it's, it's not that interesting. The, the interviews are much more interesting in Murder on the Orient Express. Um, because, like, most of the time are doing, like, very petty stuff. And it's, like, not that interesting. Except for the accountant who is straight up embezzling funds. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. And, and so this movie really felt like this movie is not about the crime. That's what I realized when I was thinking about the movie, about how I wasn't necessarily as pleased as I thought I would be um, highly anticipating this movie. And it's because this movie is not about the crime. It's about the crime, but it's not about the crime. It's about the inspector. It's about his love lost. And how it's uh, almost embraced by this crime of passion. Uh, but it, but it's basically all about him, which I think is kind of weird. <laughs> um, the strongest part of the movie when he wanted to talk to Book and he started because he started getting all teared. For sure, I mean uh, the the Book the Book interview setup and all that stuff. It, it's definitely done in a really good way. That like he's his only friend on the boat. Um, and he was investigating him to begin with but like it, there's a good dynamic there that like he's very clearly either the murderer or no one <laughs> um and so it, that's definitely like the biggest one because he's probably like the biggest suspect outside of the actual murderers because he's so innocent he's like too innocent um, 
at least as is our perspective and then we find out that he actually is guilty of certain things but not the murder uh and so that that definitely is the highlight of the movie right there which is weird because you kind of expect the reveal to be the highlight of the movie like it was in murder on the orient express granted movies should not make the habit of what murder on the orient express's ending was although it was like really good and when pedro says it challenged his very soul <laughs> like such he gives a good like revealing speech in that movie as opposed to this one this one's just like you did it because you wanted the money and that's cool <laughs> and it's like okay all right interesting the journey that counts it should be it should be um i mean the guy who attempts murder gets off scot-free with the accountant um and then yeah i mean kenneth brand i i think is a terrific director and certainly a terrific actor but uh yeah i, I just the movie felt like it was too much about him and not not enough about the crime itself or about the other characters it was about his love lost and how that was kind of embraced within this crime of passion He's always Gilderoy Lockhart. True. I don't disagree. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's so much flashbacks to his relationship. I don't know. It's like his history doesn't have hardly anything to do with the crime. But we're telling that story anyways, because the story is about him. It's not about the crime, which I think is a weird story to tell a whodunit with. <laughs> Like if he was, if he was also a suspect in this time and he's like trying to vindicate himself as well as finding the killer, then I guess you can tell the story about himself because now he's a suspect and so his history matters. But he's very clearly not a suspect in this because he's drugged asleep during the crime. So I don't know. It's... I think you would have to tell that kind of story if you wanted to tell a personal story about your inspector or detective. But because this is just like other people's problems, he has a job to do and he's thinking too much about his own problems. <laughs> um, but but the story is cool and it's nice and has a very pleasing ending of him going back to the, the bar or whatever it was. Um, and the club and he shaves his mustache i'm not sure why that was necessary i i guess he's gonna try again is that the idea of the ending is that he's gonna try love again with the singer and he shaves his mustache to see if she'll accept him for who he is because he's all scarred i guess that's the point i guess that makes sense uh apparently in agatha christie's writing she clearly always put the line between the detective and the suspects and the detective could never be the suspect yeah that's kind of my point is that the detective could never be a suspect so why do we care about the detective's story why do we care about his history yeah he's he's processed his loss and doesn't have to hide his scars anymore right that, that's my point is that like 
this movie is not about the death in the Nile. <laughs> it's about a French kid who fought in World War One was got hideously scarred and his love stayed with him only to die shortly after and he remembers that for the rest of his life but otherwise he's still kind of the same person <laughs> uh, but yeah it's about him processing his loss it's not about the crime which i think is kind of weird for a whodunit like i don't know it was it was okay i mean i, I it was very middle of the road for me like i, I don't know I, I i don't think it's a bad movie by any metric um it's just like weird for the genre i think especially when whodunit movies already are kind of like old-fashioned this whodunit movie doesn't even lean into the whodunit aspect as opposed to like a knives out or the predecessor murder on the orient express um because i was feeling like i was like we're getting a renaissance of whodunits and um did this one feels like a little bit of a step back by focusing so much on the inspector like it's a great character story it's a great character story for sure but it's a whodunit movie so nothing's going to beat Clue from the 80s. I don't know. I watched a lot of Columbo. <laughs> uh, that's a show I would rewatch. Columbo? Holy cow. I got to find that somewhere. Where do you find... <laughs> where, where do you find... Uh, I don't know. Uh, shows that are on like MeTV... <laughs> um, but yeah uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and move on to the movie news uh, because we got a ton of stuff to get into uh, I always post the movie news in the discord if you're interested I can post a link there but otherwise it's no pressure and because we're just going to go through it all right here uh, it wouldn't be, I don't know, the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022 without us talking about Spider-Man. We got to talk about Spider-Man every week. I think it's a rule. Um, it's become a staple of the show. And just like the past few times talking about Spider-Man, we're talking about its box office. It continues to to bring in numbers week after week. Sure enough, on Monday, Spider-Man No Way Home passed Avatar, which was number three in the box office domestically, not adjusted for inflation. So I guess that means Avatar would still be higher adjusted for inflation. Uh, but it did bypass the, the, the bulk number which is pretty crazy uh, that Spider-Man's doing. I mean, like, Spider-Man's a great movie, but, like, it, it is pretty crazy that's making this much money um, while we're still kind of in... Like, no one is saying the COVID era of movies is over, so it's crazy that a movie is making this much money kind of in, in the third act of COVID, hopefully. 
Um, but yeah, uh, I wonder how much money it's made all the time. Does this article say? Internationally, it's grossed just over a billion dollars, giving it a total of $1.8 billion, giving it number six worldwide. Wow, that's huge. Good for Spider-Man. It's a great movie. Um, that's a movie I went to go see a character piece and it delivered, you know. Um, it was awesome. I love Spider-Man. Give me every emotion known to man. Some not known. I don't know. Uh, I guess this is what we'll be talking about for the next month, perhaps. Uh, because we talked about it last week. And sure enough, Warner Brothers responded. Uh, if you don't know, The Matrix Resurrections is in the process of suing. Uh, I guess the movie isn't. But Village Roadshow, which helped produce the movie, Matrix Resurrections, is suing Warner Brothers uh, that they uh, they shouldn't have released it day and date. Big mistake. Um, they're saying that the day and date release uh, cut the legs off the box office because of HBO Max. Um, uh, and even they're saying that the movie was intentionally pushed up into 2021. It apparently could have, there was talks of having a 2022 release date, uh, but it was pushed up to even further HBO max numbers for the end of the quarter. Uh, so obviously a lot of motivations there for Warner brothers, uh, but Warner brothers responded. Let's see. Um, a Warner Brothers spokesperson Monday took the white gloves off, according to this Deadline article. Uh, uh, Village Roadshow's actions have been duplicitous, and this dispute is equally contrived. Village was happy to have their name on the credits of the film, traveled to the world premiere in San Francisco, and held themselves out to the media as producers on the film, but they have now reneged on their contractual obligation to pay, pay their share of the cost of the film. It is notable that throughout 2021, we reached mutually acceptable agreements on all films of the, in the in the 2021 slate. I can't read, sorry, to provide additional compensation to talent and our partners in light of our day and date release strategy during the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, so that is in uh, contrary to what Village Roadshow was saying. Village Roadshow was saying that they they weren't notified um, that, that that things weren't finished being ironed out about the day and day release strategy with them. Um, so the only exception was Village, which refused to honor its commitment to pay their share of production costs, rejecting the opportunity we offered to de-risk them from any financial underperformance. Huh. Instead, Village wanted to enjoy the benefit of publicly holding themselves out as co-owners and producers while preserving a free look at the ultimate outcome of the film performance without any financial investment on their part. That just seems weird to me. How do you, how do you be a producer on a movie without giving your money up front? Is producing in the movie industry really a, an afterthought? Like that seems crazy to me. Like, well, we'll just make the movie now, but people have already signed on to pay us to make it. And so they'll just pay us back when we're done. That seems crazy to me. I feel like they'd be in constant communication, right? 
use their credit card. <laughs> um, well, that clearly explains why the pre last week we were talking about how on pretty much every IP that Village Roadshow has been a part of that there's a lot of big division from Warner Brothers. Um, Warner Brothers has not yet filed any formal response, however. Uh, let's see. Village Roadshow's 50-page filing blasts the deliberate and consistent coordinated efforts of Warner Brothers to eviscerate the significant value of Village Roadshow's intellectual property. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Village Roadshow immediately responded, though. Warner Brothers' statement is not only untrue, it seeks to deflect attention from the core issues. Oh, man. Now they're just calling each other liars. Who do you believe? I don't know. Uh, Village Roadshow paid Warner Brothers $4.5 billion to produce and distribute 91 films. 91 film? It. 91 films? Are we just talking about in total throughout their history? Okay. Uh, the complaint details... Oh. The complaint details a pattern of calculated conduct by Warner Brothers designed to eviscerate Village Roadshow's rights to, to the derivative works from those films. As set forth... Yeah, because we talked about last week how Warner Brothers, because of their close relationship, Village Roadshow doesn't really have much choice but to work with, with Warner Brothers, unfortunately. And because they kind of co-own all of the IP and Warner Brothers doesn't seem to want to work with Village Roadshow at all, whether it's on Warner Brothers' part or Village Roadshow's part, irrelevant. But uh, Warner Brothers is basically refusing to greenlight any um, spin-off TV shows or sequels of any of the existing IP that uh, Village Roadshow currently has, which is a very interesting move given the current uh, media climate where everyone's given sequels and spin-off TV shows to everyone, um, that there must be a pretty, pretty divisive split that we're seeing unfold. Uh, that's pretty much the end of that article. I mean, they go on to say a bunch of other things. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Um, I, I'm very curious to see where this develops, uh, what, what more kind of happens with it. Uh, if if Warner Brothers wins, that'll be like a huge vindication of them because almost everyone has criticized their day and date release strategy and not even just the strategy, but even their methodology behind it uh, of not talking to their creatives and their artists that, about it. Like it is a pretty big whiff, pretty bad. Uh, do I remember the names of Avatar's main characters? That's a fun trivia question. Isn't his name like... Why do I want to say Sully? <laughs> Is it Sully? I don't remember anyone else. I have to rewatch Avatar, I guess. I guess I could look it up. IMDB Avatar. I don't remember anyone else, though. I know Sigourney Weaver's in it. And Zoe Saldana. Jake Sully. Hey, I got it. Dr. Grace Augustine. Neatiri. Colonel Miles. 
we'll be talking about Avatar a bunch towards the end of the year. Hopefully it's a good one. James Cameron needs a good win. I mean, he doesn't need it, but it's always good. Oh, I didn't put the trailer here, I'm realizing. Um, but yeah, we got a ton of trailers from the Super Bowl, a lot of uh, Super Bowl spots. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of commercials, but a lot of the advertisements were for movies uh, and TV shows. And so to talk about some of the movies that dropped stuff, at least around the Super Bowl or during the Super Bowl, uh, there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, first up, I don't think this one was actually during the Super Bowl. I think it was a few days before, but the Adam Project movie. Uh, this is a movie that I think I would have loved when I was a kid. I might still love it, but it looks like my childhood dream not really, but like, uh, but it, it looks like it's exactly like what I wanted out of movies uh, when I was younger. I mean, you got young kid visited by future self. So you got a little bit of the sci-fi element of it. Who's a pilot of some spacecraft where I don't know. I don't really know what it's about, but you've got time travel. You've got space flight like this. This movie looks looks awesome. Um, and then you also just got a stellar cast with Ryan Reynolds, Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Garner, uh, Catherine Keener, Zoe Saldana. Like, it's a great, it's a great cast. And the kid Walker Scobell looks like he could become someone too out of this movie. Um, but yeah, th this movie just looks great. Uh, I don't totally know what it's about, but it's just a time traveling pilot teams up with his younger self and his late father to come to terms with his past while saving the future. Yeah. So like, I don't know, this just looks like a movie I would have loved as a kid. And I think the fact that it's focusing almost more on Ryan Reynolds's character on like future Adam, it's almost like, uh, the Sandlot, right? Like you focus on this adult who lives back as a kid, even though he gets to coexist as both the adult and the kid um, and solve his like past trauma. It's kind of the Sandlot of sci-fi movies. The Sandlot is a sci-fi movie. Change my mind. <laughs> uh, Ian in the chat looks like what Tron Legacy was trying to do. A little bit. A little bit. It's definitely got a little bit of that vibe to it, which I guess I did like Tron Legacy as a kid, although I wasn't that young when Tron Legacy came out. Isn't that like 2011 or something? I feel like I was like 13. 2010, close, which I was 13. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so this movie just looks like it'll be a blast. It looks like it's totally piquing my curiosity. I'm all for it. Uh, looks like it will be a good one. Um, is that coming out this year? I imagine it is. Like, I didn't know it was coming, and it's going on my anticipated list. Uh, well, he crash lands in 2022, so I got to imagine it's. Whoa, this is weird. Okay. Um. I just saw something in the 
credits that it looks like there's two different people cast as young Adam. Walker Scobell and Jessica Bodenerick. They're both cast as young Adam. I'm curious. Is there going to be a multi-universe thing going on too? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's coming out later this year. Should be a, a good one. I hope so. I mean, we only got one trailer, so we'll see. Uh, the next one that we got... Okay. Let me take you back to 2020? Question mark? I think it was 2020. Maybe it was 2021, but... Jurassic World 8-Minute Short. The Battle at Big Rock. That came out in 2019, even earlier. Okay. So Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom comes out in 2018, I believe. Yeah. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom comes out in 2018. Let me take you back to 20. That's a good point. To 2019. <laughs> no one wants to go back to 2020. That's fair. Uh, 2016 was four years ago. Yeah, not quite. Um, okay. So Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom comes out in 2018. It is largely disliked. It's a weird movie. It's does some really crazy stuff. Uh, it's just all around weird. Um, honestly, I'm not that big a fan of it. Um, and I think most people aren't that big of fans of it. It's a weird one. And then we, we of course, all still knew that they were going to make a third. Was that the first one in the new trilogy? No, it was the second one. The first one's not bad. I mean, it's not really doing anything like revolutionary, but like it's an enjoyable movie. I'd rewatch that movie any day of the week. Um, I'd rewatch any of the first four movies any day of the week. It's the fifth one that I'm like, is kind of a snooze fest. It is very weird. Um, but then there was some rumblings that like, don't worry, there's going to be a third Jurassic Park. They're going to try and do like a return to formula a little bit. But then they were like, but actually it's going to be more like what Jurassic World was always supposed to be about the entire world. And I was, everyone was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's that's what we actually wanted. That sounds good. And then they were like, oh, and we're even talking about bringing back the original, the original three of... Uh, I can't think of the characters. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, and Sam. Sam, I can't think of his last name. Oh, Jurassic Park. Um, I'll get there. Give me the IMDb quick. Uh, Sam Neill. And everyone was like, oh, bringing back all three of them? That's awesome, because you brought back Jeff Goldblum, and Jeff Goldblum just sat in a courtroom the whole time in, in Fallen Kingdom. So, like, you didn't really bring him back. Also, the courtroom didn't really decide anything in that movie, if you remember. Like, we kept having flashes to this courtroom, and they never really decided anything. Maybe they greenlit the rescue mission of the dinosaurs. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. I don't even remember what the point of that courtroom was, other than to let Jeff Goldblum say, life finds a way again 
And then in 2019, out of nowhere, Universal drops uh, like a nine, 10 minute clip that is just about this family camping in the woods. And it's called the Battle of Big Rock. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to look it up on YouTube. I think it's spectacular. And it's just about this family camping in the woods. And then they see, I think, some Triceratops or something. It's been a while since I watched it. And it's like, oh, that's just like daily life now that you see some dinosaurs in the woods. And sure enough, like any good Jurassic Park movie, you get attacked. And they get attacked by, I think, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. And it's good tension. It's great. There's a moment where you think they're going to have a Tyrannosaurus Rex eat an infant. And it's crazy. <laughs> uh, I was on the edge of my seat for that 10-minute short. But uh, and it's super good. It's super good. And everyone's like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe Jurassic Park 3 is pretty hype. Well, we finally got the Jurassic – I said Jurassic Park. I meant Jurassic World 3. Um, Jurassic Park 6, if you want to say it. Um, we finally got the trailer for it. And I got to say, it looks pretty good. It looks like a fun adventure. It looks like it's going to be a globetrotting adventure. It looks like it's really going to deal with the ethical questions again, just like the first Jurassic Park used to. Is this even right? But this time it's, hey, we saved all the dinosaurs and put the entire world in danger by doing so. Um. And you get another great line from Jeff Goldblum saying, Ian Malcolm, I should say, uh, saying that human beings are not are not dominant over nature, but they are subservient to it. Oh, what a good one. And sure enough, here comes nature. Here comes the dinosaurs coming back uh, to eat everybody all around the world, which looks like it'll be a fun one. Um I don't totally understand the logistics of that happening, though, because, like, the birds I understand, but weren't all the dinosaurs that were saved on one ship? And did that ship go to many ports? I assume it just went to one port and dropped them all off in Miami or something. Like, I figured Florida would be an infested dinosaur land and maybe eventually, like, the United States and the Americas. But... It certainly looked like they went to a European city. Maybe they didn't, but it kind of looked like a European city a couple of times in the in the in the trailer, um, where there were some raptors and some T Rexes. Uh, but yeah, it looks entertaining. Uh, it looks looks good. It looks like a fun adventure that's going to be bring everybody back. Um, so I can't wait. Also, now that I think about it, let me look something. Up. Because Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Now I'm very curious about something. Because there is something in the trailer that I made an assumption of, but now I'm rethinking about it. I was thinking that the kid, the little girl in the trailer, was uh, Chris Pratt's character and Bryce Dallas Howard's character's daughter. But now that I'm thinking about it, is it the girl from the fifth one? Sick, it is. That's the right choice. That's a good move. 
because sure jurassic world 5 is a bad movie but they still acknowledge it by carrying that character forward i i think that's good don't get me wrong her character is extremely weird given that she's kind of a clone but i don't really understand what she is but it's fine because like the fact that she's a clone doesn't that kind of mean that she has like tree frog dna in her how human is she? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know what the logistics are, but I think it's the right choice to continue the character forward, and I'm excited for it. Uh, then we got uh, another trailer that... Oh, I didn't put the article here, but I think... Maybe... Ian just sent it to me. Ian, did you send me that Lord of the Rings thing or was that in a chat somewhere? I don't remember where it went. Um, let's see. I, I don't remember where that one article went. But anyways, uh, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power TV show, the most expensive TV show ever made. Oh man, you love to spend $465 million on something and immediately get some negative feedback or at least controversial feedback. <laughs> uh, like that's got to be brutal, but uh, like everybody's got to be biting their nails at Amazon right now. Having spent, I mean, $465 million to Amazon is probably nothing, but uh, yeah, they, they spent... Man, I don't remember where you posted that thing. Is Ian still on? Is he listening to me? Um, I don't remember where he posted it. But Ian, uh, not Ian, the, <laughs> the Rings of Power dropped a trailer. And I got to say, it's a little underwhelming. I don't think it's that interesting, like... I'm hyped for the series just because it's related to the Lord of the Rings. But like the trailer didn't do a whole lot to tell me about the story. It was just kind of like, here's a character shooting a bow and arrow. Here's a character climbing. Uh, I, I, don't, I forget what it's called, but like climbing with ice picks. Um, here's a dwarf. Here's like... <laughs> Like, it was just like a montage of Lord of the Rings things without telling me what the Lord of the Rings story is. And so, I don't know. It didn't really get get me enthusiastic about the series as I was hoping it would. Uh, but it is still just like another teaser trailer because we're in the world where you get to drop two first looks, two teaser trailers before your first trailer. Uh, but they... They really, I don't know. I thought it was underwhelming. I'm still excited for it, but I, I thought the trailer itself was uh, underwhelming. And then, man, I don't know where it went. Uh, I'll have to Google it in a moment. We also got, or actually I'm going to look this up right now. Lord of the Rings. Or I should say Rings of Power. Rings of Power controversy. There it is. 
Uh, yeah, so even though they dropped this trailer, which should have been like an absolute win, this was like a super hyped series by everyone. Everyone heard the amount of money being dumped into it. How could it be bad, you know? Um, and almost immediately, there was negative feedback. Uh, there's negative feedback about a couple of things. Um, I, I forget all of them exactly, but I think there's a Black Hobbit and the the controversy around that is that if all the hobbits written about in tolkien's work are white how how is there a black one like why wouldn't those have been written about if they existed i don't know i don't know um i don't think that one's that big of a deal the bigger one is that everyone seems to be complaining about uh, is Princess Disa, 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 Disa? I don't know how you say it, but um, a dwarven princess's lack of facial hair. Come on, people, it's 2022. Women can have facial hair, right? Well, in Tolkien's books, uh, as well as in the movies, they make uh, an extreme effort to talk about how... Um, indistinguishable dwarven dwarven men and women are that they're they're so identical that they they both have the exact same beards uh and sometimes very often they also have the same is it cadence of voice that the the female dwarves even talk a little lower and a little rougher um and have facial hair. And so there, there's little to distinguish between men and women in uh, Tolkien's dwarven community. And sure enough, they in the trailer, this uh, this prince, this dwarvish princess has no facial hair, uh, which is like a pretty, pretty big piece of like the dwarvish culture in in Tolkien's work and to remove that is such a such a deviation sure it sounds like a small thing but it's like the thing that makes fantasy fantasy is its lore is its made-up culture and so if you start deviating that stuff for example like the wheel of time deviates a lot of the culture that was uh explained in the books uh, a lot of the culture kind of gets walked over and blended together in uh, the Wheel of Time TV show versus the books. And I think that's a huge loss for a fantasy series because to me, it's like the fantasy, the thing that makes the fantasy world is its culture. And so if you change that stuff too much, it's kind of just a whole new world. It's something completely different. And so, so I get where the Lord of the Rings fans are coming from. I mean, I, I'm not the world's biggest Lord of the Rings fan. Um, obviously, I love the movies and whatnot, but uh, I, I'm not too familiar about everything with it. Um, and so I, I can definitely understand how that would be a, a, a big piece of uh, criticism. I do wonder... I mean, they've already sunk $465 million in it. What if we see another Sonic thing happen? What if they go back 
and add a beard to her. Now I know she's a real person and not a CG character, but what if they either, maybe they do some reshoots with her in a beard and use that to CG a beard in every scene with her. What if they reshot it? What if they redid it? And did CG of it. Like they do re they redo principal photography of her with the beard and then CG that into all of her scenes. I think that could work out. Hopefully it's of a high quality, but like they've already sunk in $465 million into this show. At this point, what's another 10 million? <laughs> I don't know how much it would cost, to be honest, but uh but yeah, it's like that, that kind of stinks. Um, I mean, they deliberately made these choices. But I mean, even in, I think it has a quote here. Somewhere. It's here, it says, it is an aesthetic decision that goes against every existing piece of Dwarven lore Tolkien created. Um, Blah, 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 blah. Where's this quote I'm looking for? Here we are. Um, yeah, the excitement around the show has almost dissipated entirely following the first look images of Disa, Dysa, uh, which go against Tolkien's prior dwarf lore, Gimli's speech in the two towers. So it's not even like it's a book versus movie thing. Like it was established in the movies also. Gimli's speech in The Two Towers is a prime example here with the warrior stating that dwarven women are so alike in voice and appearance that they are often mistaken for dwarf men. And it's like, <laughs> why would they then not? It's so easy to put a beard on there. Like, it's so easy. Why would they not do that? I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird choice, I think, especially when you sunk. The, I can't. I, I'll. I, Nothing will stop me from pointing out that they spent $465 million on this thing. Considering that's more money that was spent on the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. Like, <laughs> seems a tad excessive. Um, hopefully it still turns out to be good, but I do wonder if they'll go back and edit in a beard for her. Do the, give, give everybody the old Sonic remastered experience. Uh, also in Lord of the Rings news, we got a release date, or at least a release year, um, for uh, Lord of the Rings anime movie, The War of the Rohirrim, uh, which is set for April 2024. Uh, I don't know really anything about this war, but cool, cool. More Lord of the Rings, the better. Um, especially if they're currently making something that people don't like, maybe they'll be able to make something that people do like. <laughs> a win and a loss uh, but that's a ways out April 2024 um, let me drink some water real quick before I continue ah, good water speaking of Sonic uh, Sonic 2 dropped some additional uh I don't really know if they're full trailers, but uh, they definitely had their fair share of Super Bowl commercials. Um, 
it didn't really add anything for me. It just it still looks like a pretty good sequel. Um, you know, it's got Idris Elba voicing Knuckles. You've, of course, got Jim Carrey coming back as Dr. Robotnik. And, yeah, it, lo- it looks fun. It looks like a fun sequel. Um, I, I'm at, I actually have some high hopes for this sequel. I think it'll be better than, than the first one, especially since the first one is just an Olive Garden commercial. And that's it. Maybe this time Sonic saves the world. He can get something a little bit better than $50 for Olive Garden. Which, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't turn down. But if I saved the world, you'd be hoping for a little bit more. Like, think Armageddon when they make their list of demands before they get sent to the asteroid to blow it up. They're like, I never want to pay taxes for the rest of my life. <laughs> like, that seems like a good good reward for saving the world. Um, but also in Sonic news... Uh, we got some announcements. Paramount did a lot of announcements this past week. Um, they they dropped stuff related to Transformers, Star Trek, Sonic, Ninja Turtles, uh, Halo, and Quiet Place. Uh, but turns out uh, Star Trek 4, or before we even get to Star Trek 4, Where's the Sonic stuff? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just going to make a Sonic 3, and they're also in works in making a spin-off Knuckles show for Paramount Plus, uh, voiced by Idris Elba. I always think it's weird. I mean, I guess that's the inherent nature of why it's called a spin-off. But it's kind of funny to me, the nature of TV shows versus movies. Because we tend to give these spin-off TV shows from these movies to, like, secondary characters. But, like, when are we going to realize that TV shows are more time? Like, it's more content. Like, this TV show with Knuckles could end up being, like, eight hours of Knuckles. Like... Sonic will only have four hours by that time. <laughs> um, with Sonic 1 and 2, maybe 3, so then it'll have six hours. Um, don't get me wrong, I think a Sonic TV show is a terrific idea because I think it used to be a TV show or whatever, and it's got like a huge comic book collection and the lore is so deep, so much deeper than I realized. And there's so many different Sonic characters that it would definitely work as a TV show, but I don't know. I, I just think it's weird when we give secondary characters TV shows and our primary character like has barely had two movies, so only four hours of content, and now we're about to have 10 hours of a secondary character. It's a little weird. Uh, additionally... Halo, um, the Halo TV series isn't debuting until March 24th. However, second season has already been greenlit, which is pretty crazy. Uh, we've been talking about that a lot lately, that like there's been a lot of shows getting season twos before their season one premieres. And I think it could be a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, for example, I believe the Lord of the Rings show, Rings of Power, is already confirmed for a season two. And yet, we're immediately, they dropped one minute of content for it. 
and there was immediately negative feedback or at least controversial feedback, divisive feedback. And it's like, they already confirmed a season two? Yikes. <laughs> um, by the way, for the Lord of the Rings thing, I'm not saying they should go back and edit it, but I'm wondering if they're thinking about it. Um, also, A Quiet Place is getting a third movie in 2025 from director Michael Sarnowski, which I believe... Sarnowski. Let's let's look him up real quick. He uh, is... I don't want to say an up-and-coming director because he directed some stuff back in the early 2010s and then didn't do anything for a while and then came back with a movie called Pig. Is that with Nicolas Cage? Is that that movie? It is. Um, all right. I mean... <laughs> Can we get Blake Nicholas Cage into a Quiet Place 3? <laughs> That'd be funny if it happened. Um but yeah, Michael Sarnowski will be directing a Quiet Place 3. Cool. I love the Quiet Place movies. Sounds good. Um Teen Wolf is coming back with its own movie that'll set up with for a Paramount Plus series called Wolfpack. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is getting a film from producer Seth Rogen, as well as a series of villain-driven Turtles films exclusively for the streaming service. A series of villain-driven... Are people... I'm curious. Would people watch a villain-centric Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie? that like didn't have the ninja turtles in it would they watch that i don't know i'm mostly against villain centric stories i mean they can work i think it's few and far between though uh i don't even want to read whatever that stuff is uh let's see let's see Um, I definitely missed something. Oh, Sonic's coming out on April 8th. I think we knew that. Uh, the I guess the last thing that came out of there is Star Trek 4. Something that I'm super stoked about. Um, Star Trek 4 is coming in December 22nd, 2023, which I guess means it will compete with a Star Wars movie. I think there's supposed to be a Star Wars movie also in the end of December 2023. So we're going to get a Star Wars and a Star Trek in the same month. That that should really... People already joke around about the confusion of the names and, in nerd culture and, what, and geek culture and whatnot. And th this should really help them to do that. Good work, people. Um, apparently, no deals have been reached. But they are working on um, bringing back. They're they're going to try and bring back the whole cast of Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Simon Pegg, Carl Urban, Zoe Saldana, John Cho, um, who starred in the the three films beginning with 2009's Star Trek. Yeah, I'm all for it. Um, I hope it happens. 
there was talk about Chris Hemsworth somehow coming back as uh, Kirk's father again in some sort of time travel thing. I don't know. Um, but a potential for a Star Trek four is very exciting in my mind. Uh, Cause I haven't really kept up with any of the Star Trek TV series that they've been making. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, also some crazy news that I didn't expect to hear about, but again, yeah, I'll be there. Blade Runner. You're going to think I'm saying this wrong. 2099. A live action sequel series from Ridley Scott, Silka Luisa and Alcon in the works at Amazon Studios. Ridley Scott, of course, directed 1982's Blade Runner. Um, is executive producing Blade Runner 2099, which will be a follow-up to Blade Runner 2049. If you didn't know, the original Blade Runner takes place in 2019. And then in our 2019, we got Blade Runner 2049. And now they're going to make a Blade Runner 2099. That seems like a really far way out. Like the, the first one was like a 30-year jump, which is kind of conceivable. But now we're doing a 50-year jump. That's a huge jump. So much can change. Um, Silka Luisa is uh, writing and executive producing the show coming from Alcon Entertainment um, in association with Scott Free Productions and Amazon Studios. Yeah, so I'm super excited about this. I mean, more Blade Runner stuff, the better in my mind. Um, more Ridley Scott Android stuff, the better in my mind. If, if you put Ridley Scott and Androids in the same sentence, I'll have a seat. Like shut up and take my money because whether it's um, which the very first alien was directed by Ridley Scott, right? Yeah. So whether it's alien, whether it's Blade Runner, whether it's raised by wolves, Ridley Scott's name attached to Android projects, even if it's not totally about androids, like the Alien movie isn't. It it's such an interesting level he adds to it. Just totally, uh, Blade Runner, of course, is an adaptation of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and it's a spectacular, thought-provoking movie. Uh, questioning what is a machine um and, and it's just like he asked the question the best like i think we we constantly make movies i mean the matrix does a pretty good job of it the the first one and maybe even the second and third uh of blurring the lines between like what is a human and what is a machine and what's the difference but like we're so frequently um, 
I think obsessed with like the iRobot movie kind of idea of the robots rising up against us. I mean, I guess the matrix is a little bit about that as well. Uh, the robots rising up against us that like it, the whole reason they rise up against us is because we have a vast misconception of what robots are <laughs> like Skynet coming online. Um, and the Rid Ridley Scott and the do androids dream of electric sheep idea really i don't want to say humanizing androids but showing that they're almost just other consciousnesses and they're not actually that different they have motivations just like we do and just like we do they adhere to certain tribalistic principles which might mean in their eyes machines versus humans just like in our eyes humans versus machines and I don't know, he, the way, the portrayal of it blurring the lines so much, it's just so philosophical about um, the talk of, uh, like Blade Runner does a great job talking about, um, talking about our programming as humans, having memories. Memories, in a sense, is just programming. Sure, we maybe lived through the experiences, but every memory gets filtered through our thoughts and feelings and caused us to be who we are. And so it, it, it's just like, it, it's such a, a philosophical journey, the Ridley Scott Android stories. So I'm excited for it. I'm super excited for it. Do you have a story we haven't heard a lot about that I'm still curious about? Wasn't there supposed to be an alien TV series on Hulu? It will tackle immortality? What? <laughs> that was the latest article about it? I don't really care. Uh, it's an ultimate, it's ultimately a classic science fiction question. Does humanity deserve to survive? Ooh. I mean, in theory with the, the aliens in Alien, I mean, like natural selection says otherwise so it's got to be our job to fight back because the xenomorph is better in every way shape or form um do they have a release date for it i think it's got to be coming out this year i'm hoping it comes out this year i don't know but I love Ridley Scott with androids. And so to hear that he's helping to produce a Blade Runner 2099 version, I'm all for it. There's like a lot of fun theories that Blade Runner, Alien, and um, Predator, of course. Because like Alien and Predator are already kind of a shared universe. Uh, but there's a lot of people that want Blade Runner to be in there also. I'm of the mind that I also want Raised by Wolves to be in there also as like the super distant future, like way after Blade Runner. Because I think Blade Runner is after the Alien and Predator stuff. And then maybe it's not. I, I, I forget how it works. 
No, Blade Runner would be before. Oops, I just totally bumped. Probably heard that. Uh, no, I guess Blade Runner would be before some of the Alien and Predator stuff. Or some of the Alien stuff, but not some of the Predator stuff. Yeah, because a lot of the Predator stuff happens in like modern day. So it would go like Predator, Blade Runner, Alien in a lot of instances. I don't know where the AVP movies take place. I guess whatever year they came out, probably. And then in the distant future, Raised by Wolves. I don't know. But it's really interesting stories, in my opinion. Some of the ones that fascinate me the most. Uh, on the flip side, a story that's not moving forward currently, a Beauty and the Beast prequel that we've known about for some time, Gaston, uh, was put on hold. Uh, it's a spinoff from 2017 Beauty and the Beast movie. Uh, it's supposed to be a six-episode series um, following Josh Gad and Luke Evans' characters of LeFou and Gaston. Uh, it was actually picked up to be an eight-episode season. However... I'm trying to read the actual reasons for it. <coughs> hmm. Apparently, I'm so confused. So production on the show was set to begin this spring. Um, but then it was pushed to Europe to hopefully get some better weather in Europe. Uh, I feel like I just said Europe twice in that sentence. It sounded weird. Uh, the window availability shrinking. Disney Plus opted to put the series on hold to, to hope for better weather. Um, obviously, the pandemic influencing scheduling changes um, such as soundstage and location availability. Uh, so that all probably played into it. But they did just announce that British pop star Rita Ora was going to join the cast, which already features Frothy and Jelani Aladdin. Uh, it's unclear if the current cast will be able to return when and if a new timeline comes back. So I don't know. Sounds like it's on hold. Um Apparently, the Muppets Live Another Day thing was also scrapped. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, yeah, that's a shame. Two scrapped projects from Disney Plus. Uh, Gaston, as well as that Muppets show. Uh, I'm going to come back to this next one and then go over to this one. Uh, Simu Liu, Shang-Chi himself, uh, joins Margot Robbie in Warner Brothers' uh, Barbie film directed by Greta Gerwig. Uh, cool. Uh, I guess it's known that Ryan Gosling is playing Ken. Okay. Um, so, cool. 
Uh, it sounds like we, we're, we're really filling out that cast with Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie, Simu Liu. I mean, that, that's a pretty good cast. Get, getting started for, for the Barbie movie, of all things. <laughs> you know, like, that's a good cast. Uh, but we don't know too much about it just yet, so. Uh, this is a crazy thing, in my opinion. It is a crazy thing. It's a bad thing. Ultimately, I don't care, but I think it's stupid, but I don't care. I swear I don't care. Um, so do y'all remember in 2018? Yeah. Back in August 2018 in this in the um, people.com, this article. Uh, August 2018, the Oscars made plans to add a new category for Outstanding Achievement in Popular Film. Though about a month later, the awards show decided not to follow through with the criticized effort to acknowledge box office hits and mainstream films. Yeah, because why does a movie that already made the most money need to be recognized as art if it's rec if it is art, it can be recognized as art. As art, it doesn't need to be recognized for having a big box office. For example, Lord of the Rings: Return of the King. Sure, the Oscars not technically going to that specific Lord of the Rings film, but to kind of the whole trilogy of Lord of the Rings films. But like, its recognition is for it as a piece of art. It isn't for its uh, success at the box office. If it makes money, that's great, but <laughs> it's not about the box office for the Oscars. The Oscars aren't – the whole reason we have an Oscars, the whole reason you have critics in general is to talk about things as art, not to talk about – if you just want to talk about the box office, a machine can do that. But a machine can tell you how much a movie made. You could just Google that. But to actually criticize a film and talk about why it's so influential to human society and why or why it should be influential to human society um, and how outstanding of a piece of art it is, like that's the whole point of awards shows, right? <laughs> or so I thought. Um, however... Meryl Johnson, the vice president of digital marketing at the Academy, told The Hollywood Reporter, we're thrilled to partner with Twitter to help build an engaged and excited digital audience leading up to this year's ceremony through these activations, activations, activities, activations. Social media users around the world now have more opportunities to engage with the show in real time, find a community and be a part of the experience in ways they've never been able to before. So I don't totally know what the last bit of that is. Um, Cause it doesn't really go into detail about the finding a community and watching in a different, in a new way they've never been able to before. Because as far as I understand, basically the Academy tweeted make movie history with this year with hashtag Oscars fan favorite and hashtag Oscars cheer moment. Head to OscarsFanFavorite.com for more information. I guess I could go there. 
And then they basically have a thing saying, vote for your favorite movie of 2021 for a chance to win a trip to the 95th Oscars in 2023. Is that what they're talking about? That this is a new experience in ways they've never been able to before? That one person will win a trip to the Oscars? Uh, also, vote for your most cheerworthy movie moment ever for a chance to win a year of free movies. I feel like, first off, First off, Twitter opinions already are like absurd. Even people on Twitter, I'm not on Twitter, but even people on Twitter say Twitter opinions are like absolutely absurd. So to have like Twitter pick the Oscars fan favorite movie of the year. Oh, and I just went to the website and that's literally all it is, is Oscars fan favorite vote and Oscars cheer moment vote. Just out of curiosity, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk through this just to see. Okay, so you can literally type in anything here as your fan favorite movie. Also, this is a horrible website. This website looks like it was made in 2005. Uh, what a what a joke of a website! Like this is an ugly website. <laughs> I mean, I guess the homepage is like okay, but then the moment you get to the form, this is an ugly form. Um, so a, a big fail on the form, but the idea itself, I think is a horrible idea because guess what? I can already tell you who's going to win. And if this doesn't win, I'll be shocked. I'll admit I'll be shocked. Spider-Man No Way Home is going to win fan favorite movie of the year. Because let's talk about it. It made $1.8 billion dollars. Which means out of every movie that was released in 2021, more people saw Spider-Man No Way Home than any other movie. That's the inherent nature of making more money, is more people saw it. And then it's a pretty good movie. More people saw it, and it's a pretty good movie. That inherently is going to make it the fan favorite because the most people saw it. Even if, like, let's say, let's say everyone who saw Spider-Man No Way Home and House of Gucci, everyone felt the exact same about both those movies, who saw both of them. That I equally like Spider-Man No Way Home and House of Gucci. That's the example I'm giving for everyone who saw both. And then when faced with the vote, you got to pick one. Let's say everyone who saw both vote house of gucci okay and then you have the people who only saw house of gucci voting house of gucci the reason i'm using house of gucci as an example is because i thought it was a well-made movie this year it probably it's not like best picture don't get me wrong but it's a great movie um and so you have everyone who only saw house of gucci and then you have the people who saw house of gucci and spider-man both of those groups voting for House of Gucci. And then you have the other side of the people who only saw Spider-Man and they vote for Spider-Man. They outnumber the other two groups put together. They outnumber any group because more people saw Spider-Man than any other movie. It's inherently the fan favorite just because it was seen by the most people and it was pretty good. I mean, it's a great movie, but <laughs> uh, I'm just using it as an 
I, I'm saying it was pretty good as an example for future years, or maybe it won't be one that's like so obviously beloved. Um, but yeah, it's like it's so obvious. Like you don't even need a vote if you're going to give this award. <laughs> like it's very clearly the fan favorite. That wasn't the issue with the popular movie. So I think it's really stupid. Um, I, I don't know if it's having the same controversy that it did in 2018 when they tried to do it. Um, obviously in 2018, it was the, the big difference between then and now is it was going to be still the Academy voting for it as opposed to it was going to be the popular movie of the year voted by the Academy, which is kind of weird. So this is a little bit better as the fan favorite movie voted by the fans, as long as you have a Twitter. Uh, and so it's like, I don't know. It, it's it's still a weird idea to me. Also, the cheer word. What does that even mean, the cheer-worthy moment? I mean, obviously, I know what it means. <laughs> obviously, I know what it means. But it's like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, what movies came out this year? To use Death in the Nile as the example, man, when that character got murdered, that's the most cheerworthy moment. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's cheerworthy moments, a weird idea. But again, it's probably just going to be something from Spider Man, right? Whether it's Willem Dafoe. Or, I mean, honestly, no. Do you know what? Cheerworthy moment is literally just going to be Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield popping into Spider-Man No Way Home. That's the most cheerworthy moment in 2021. So Spider-Man No Way Home wins the fan favorite, and Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield being in No Way Home is the most cheerworthy. You don't even need to have a vote. It's so obvious. Like, like Godzilla versus godzilla and king kong fought and that won't even crack it <laughs> like it's gonna be nothing but spider-man no way home stuff it's it's ridiculous i think i mean if we think back to 2018 uh in 2018 they didn't give very many nominations to black panther and there was a lot of discussion that Black Panther maybe should be there. And whether you think it should or shouldn't is kind of irrelevant. But like, there's a lot of discussion about whether Black Panther should have received more nominations, uh, but wasn't just because it was a superhero film. And so the Academy was like, oh, well, we'll make the popular film category so that we could do it, so that we can give them something and people can stop complaining and the critics can still pick the movies they want to pick. And this is just kind of the same thing that they pretty much snubbed Spider-Man No Way Home, which was a terrific movie from 2021. Um, but if they don't want to recognize it as art, that's fine. But uh, yeah, <laughs> if it doesn't fit in your current categories, it just feels like you're making a category specifically for Spider-Man No Way Home. Just like in 2018, it felt like you were making category for Black Panther because the Academy believes that 
these movies can't win on their own merit, which is true because most of them don't get nominated on their own merit because uh, the Academy, I don't know, uh, <laughs> is a little narrow-minded. Um, not to say that like their picks are bad movies, but uh, they're, they're a little narrow-minded about the movies they do pick. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't really care about the Oscars anyways. I mean, I love movies and like, it's interesting when movies do get nominated for Oscars or win Oscars. I think that's like notable and good for, uh, the recognition, but I, I kind of feel like the best recognition and maybe the, the artists will say otherwise, maybe the directors and the actors will all say otherwise, but I feel like the greatest, award a movie can get is being recommended to someone else like there, there's something wholesome about that that the movie is so good that you would actually recommend it to other people like that's kind of the greatest award that a movie can get in my book now don't get me wrong it's not like the movies they pick are bad i mean the last few winners have been terrific movies so i i have no doubt um but yeah moving on to uh star wars for a brief moment uh we got a release date for the kenobi show finally it is a ways out it is may 25th no it's not may the 4th it's may 25th uh which happens to be the exact same day that star wars i guess just star wars was released um star wars a new hope was released back in 1977 on may 25th uh, and Kenobi will premiere on May 25th of 2022. Uh, it's a show that I think a lot of people are very excited for, seeing uh, Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen on the same screen yet again. Uh, I'm super stoked for it and what it could mean, the story they will tell. I know it's supposed to involve some Tuscans. So, <laughs> uh, so we're going to have a, a larger continuation of the Tuscan story that the Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett have given us, even though it'll take place much earlier in the time period. Uh, this is a pretty crazy thing, because in my book, the comparison's the complete other direction. But the Book of Boba Fett, which had its finale last week, uh, its finale viewership was 36% higher than The Mandalorian Season 2. Uh, that's crazy to me. 36% is huge. Uh, this is according to Samba TV, uh, that the book of Boba Fett clocked 1.5 million U.S. households. While the Mandalorians, uh, within the five-day draw, the Mandalorian season two, uh, pulled in 1.1 million. Wait a minute. Yeah, okay. 1.1 million. Uh, now that is worth noting that there is a marginally different release strategy, I believe, because the Mandalorian stuff released on Fridays, the Book of Boba Fett stuff released on Wednesdays. So there's a little bit different build up into the weekend to maybe influence a different number. Um, but yeah, I mean, good for Book of Boba Fett uh, exceeding those numbers. Personally, I like the Mandalorian season two finale more than a lot of star wars it's one of my favorite pieces of star wars content that exists period um 
but it is interesting how they talk about it that uh, typically I, they say within Disney plus series, but I think it is true within all TV shows that there's kind of a drop off between the premiere and the finale. Uh, the book of Boba Fett only lost 12% uh, from the 1.7 million households it had on episode one, which is pretty crazy. Um, let's see. Such declines were seen with WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Loki, Hawkeye, which also saw approximately a 13% decline. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, that's a pretty good hold. Like, they're not that long of TV shows, being like less than 10 episodes. But that, that's a pretty good hold of 12%. But the Book of Boba Fett was seen by 36% more people. Wow. That's a lot of people. Uh, at least in the first five days. Uh, also talking about season twos. Granted, Peacemaker already got season one. It's pretty widely loved. Uh, it's been renewed for season two. And that's just before we're getting its season finale. So I guess we're definitely hoping for it to stick the landing. Um, cool. I hope they tell a little bit more of an interesting story. Um, oh, what about The Last Jedi? Oh, good one. Uh, what was the decline for Batwoman season one? Yeah, the CW shows, network shows are typically a lot more. Um, I don't even know what to look up for that. I don't remember what we did. CW superhero show decline after first step after premiere Let's see if that gets it why are arrowverse shows are losing so many viewers uh <laughs> i just want like a table of how many views it had the first week and how many views it had the second week and how many views it had the finale uh I don't know. It's not really talking about it. this is like the why, but it's not the numbers. Um let's see. There's a reference to another news article. The Flash saw an all-time low rating. Holy cow, wait. For instance, <laughs> The Flash, apparently, when was this article written? Uh, May 20th of last year. The, did anything else come up for the CW being put up for sale? No, we haven't. I haven't seen any development of that. Um, I think it's still there, but I don't know what's going on with it. But for instance, The Flash, um, as of May... Uh, I'm very confused. This week saw another all-time ratings low for the series. I'm so confused how this is written. It's very frustrating. But they're basically saying during one season, um, at one point in the season last year, The Flash was getting 691,000 fans. And... I guess by the time they are writing the article, The Flash was only getting 200,000 fans, 200,000 viewers. 
um, previous episodes earlier in the season and in previous years averaged around a million viewers or more. That's a huge difference. Million versus 200,000. Yikes. Yeah, the flash has, pardon my pun, run its course. But that was like three years ago. <laughs> it was probably longer. That. that was like four years ago, five years ago. After season two, it ran its course. Let's be honest. But I stuck with it for a while. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, apparently a Wonder Twins. It feels like DC every so often is just announcing obscure hero after obscure hero. And like not a bad thing, but um, obviously like Blue Beetle and then Batgirl. I mean, Batgirl's not very obscure. Um, what is this? Oh. Uh, but yeah, DC's Wonder Twins are potentially getting a feature film treatment um, that will be worked on by Adam. Stickiel? Stickiel? Stickile? Stickiel? Stickiel? I don't know how you say his name. Uh, who worked on the Black Adam movie. Uh, so I guess they're pretty pleased with how that's turning out. He'll be writing and directing uh, the Wonder Twins. Uh, which uh, sounds pretty interesting. But the Wonder Twins... Holy cow, the Wonder Twins were first seen in Hanna-Barbera's 1977 animated TV series. All new Super Friends Hour. Um, follows a pair of alien siblings named Zan and Jaina who hail from the planet Exor. And have a pet space monkey named Gleek. Hey, it's Gleek. <laughs> Um, the super siblings powers are activated by touching rings as they use their catchphrase wonder twin power activate. Yep. That's gotta be in the movie that that'll hold up. You used to watch the wonder twins on boomerang. I didn't even know about this. Honestly, I mix up who are the flashes kids. The flash has twins. Are those not the wonder twins? I thought those were the Wonder Twins. Are they the Twister Twins? Flash Twins. Tornado Twins. That's what I was confusing it with. Flash's Tornado Twins from the comics. Um, following the animated series, the Wonder Twins appeared in DC Comics and were later introduced into the main universe since appearing on episodes of Teen Titans Go, Smallville, and The Flash. They were in Smallville? I don't remember. <laughs> um, Warner Brothers is continuing this relationship with Stekiel, uh, who has written projects such as Due Date, Project X, Spy Guys, We're the Millers. He also was a writer for on Scoop. Um, but late... His latest thing was Black Adam. Uh, 
And so, uh, yeah, I guess that's cool. Sure, why not? Uh, Ian just quickly sent me a list of DC titles. I think, uh, yeah, yeah. A uh, list of DC titles that they've got coming up after Peacemaker, which is finishing this week. So uh, seems like a good list to look into. Of course, we've got the Batman on March 4th, which we'll be talking about in a second. Uh, DC's League of Super Pets coming out on May 20th. Black Adam, July 29th. The Rock is in both of those, fun fact. Uh, the Flash, November 4th. This could be... Maybe I'm going to jinx it. Steven Spielberg is still attached to Blackhawks. That's funny. Um, I doubt it'll happen. Um, this could be... I know it's only February, but hear me out. This could be the year of DC. Like, yeah, I know Marvel's got some good stuff coming. Doctor Strange 2 looks spectacular. And Thor 4 sounds very exciting. And I don't remember the third movie that's also coming this year. Is it Black Panther? That doesn't sound right. Maybe it's Black Panther, which could be good also. Um, but this could be the year of DC. I think they could have win after win after win. They're, they're definitely set up for it. All right, Peacemaker's pretty much over, and as long as they stick the landing, it's going to be pretty approved, pretty uh, widely liked. And then the Batman looks spectacular, so I've got high hopes for it. DC's League of Super Pets looks pretty good. Uh, what little we've seen of Black Adam looks spectacular, and the cast is super exciting. The Flash is kind of where where we wonder <laughs> the the flash will be the thing to stick the landing for dc this year uh because that's an ambitious project that it, it was kind of in the air for a while and so that one's going to kind of tell us what's going on there but then they also even after that which i mean maybe if the flash isn't good it's a good thing we have a quick turnaround only five or six weeks later with aquaman 2 so that's like six projects this year. Also, Batgirl is listed to come out in 2022, which could be seven. Am I miscounting? One, two, three, four, five, six. Six things after Peacemaker, but seven things in 2022. Um, yeah, so this could be the year of dc with seven really large things going on uh black panther 2 is the third film coming out on november 11th nice nice thanks for looking that up for me uh next year we got shazam 2 with their new costumes that look very nice uh blue beetle a movie i'm kind of excited for the supergirl movie which we don't know whether it will be this year or next year i'm betting next year the green lantern core tv show i'm also betting next year Zatanna, I think that's a movie I'm also betting next year. Static Shock, I'm also betting next year. I don't even know why they're pretending like some of these are coming out this year. I'm betting none of them come out this year. <laughs> uh, Wonder Woman 3 in the future, maybe next year. Gotham City Sirens following Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn, perhaps. 
Margot Robbie really trying to push that one forward. The Wonder Twins is already on this list. Nice. The Amazon spinoff that I doubt will actually happen, but apparently is still on the slate. I will look up what you just wrote in a moment. A potential Black Canary spinoff movie that could be an HBO exclusive. Uh, Blackhawks, which Ian was saying Steven Spielberg is still attached to it. And it was delayed because Steven Spielberg was working on West Side Story. So maybe he'll work on it. Uh, an Hour Man project. Interesting. A Plastic Man project. That's the one that kind of sounds like the most likely is a Plastic Man project. Um, oh, yeah, that's the one where they're changing Plastic Man to be worked as a reworked as a female center movie. And that's the only thing we've heard about it so far. And Joker 2, which we know is in the works. I feel like Joker 2 is going to come out before a lot of those. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's... Uh, before I move on to Marvel, I do have one more thing in DC. Um, and this is a big deal. This may not sound like a big deal, but it's a big deal. That the Batman was cleared for a China release. This is a huge deal. Never mind the fact that's a huge deal just in general because China is the biggest box office in the world. But the Batman was cleared for release in China. However, a date has not yet been confirmed. Um, the approval is significant, as this article says in Deadline, um, that China really hasn't been releasing Hollywood movies to to their to their audiences um so <laughs> it's a really big deal that they are um uh, it's china approval signals and overall change versus 2021 yeah in 2021 i think china didn't release like anything um or hardly anything from hollywood uh, Death on the Nile is due to release this coming Saturday in China. Is the only Hollywood movie with a date. That, that should tell you. Um, it's expected that Uncharted will be approved, but not that's not confirmed. Spider-Man No Way Home. This is, I think, the crazy thing about Spider-Man No Way Home is it made $1.8 billion without China. So it's probably the highest grossing movie all time without China. Uh, like if you subtract China grossing, China's box office gross for every movie. Uh, I think Spider-Man No Way Home might take the cake. Um, a lot of people were thinking that there was kind of an unofficial ban on Marvel from China. Um, but... Yeah, the movie grossed $1.8 billion without him. Uh, but yeah, this is a big deal that China is starting to uh, give release dates to Hollywood movies again. Because it seemed like a point of contention. Uh, and I, I, was, I was interested to see if Hollywood would start retaliating in like the next year of filmmaking. If it continued. Um, but, 
But yeah, it looks like China's starting to give a couple of release dates, which is a good thing. To switch to the Marvel side of thing, Ian is saying that we have a casting for Namor in Black Panther 2. Cite your source, sir. I'm going to the IMDb page. Uh, I don't see a Namor on IMDb. So what are you talking about? How important are Marvel movie films to the Chinese theater industry? Um, I mean, I mean, I guess some, right? I mean, like, but don't get me wrong. The Chinese theater industry is bigger than any other country's theater industry. So I guess the argument is not much, but uh i would think it's helpful for the chinese theater industry to have a diversity of films rather than because i think i think most of the chinese theater industry only releases like hollywood films or their own films and while their own films like do get large box office numbers I would think they would still want some level of international films to them, whether it's Hollywood or UK or uh, Japanese films or Korean films or whatever it is. I would think that they would want at least a little bit of that so that there's a little bit of a difference in the films they're releasing. I don't know. Um, he's just been rumored to play Namor. The rumors from last year say it'll be Tanakh Huerta. Is that the guy from... Uh, really? An interesting choice. Definitely surprises me. <laughs> if that's the direction they go, go for it. But... Um, interesting uh i definitely thought they were gonna do the villain from fast and furious one <laughs> who i can't think the name of or not fast and furious one it's i think it's fast and furious four let me look it up uh where's the villain where is the villain? Danny Yamato? No, that's not who I'm thinking of. Oh, wait, Johnny Tran. Is it Rick Yoon? I guess I was kind of thinking Rick Yoon, but there was someone else I was also thinking of. Um, the Fast and... I guess it would be Fast Curious Tokyo Drift, right? Tokyo Drift. What's his name? Who's the guy that plays TK or whatever his name was? Where's the villain on this cast list? 
Hmm. I can't even find it. Too difficult. Toshi, no. Brian T. That's the other person I was thinking of. I really thought it was going to be Brian T. That's who I'm I'm still behind. Um yeah, I, I don't know. It, it would definitely it, it sound a lot of the rumors were headed in kind of an, a Japanese direction for the character. Um but Tanakorta is a Spanish actor. Um uh, I don't know. I'm interested to see how Black Panther 2 turns out. Um, hopefully it's a good one. Uh, in other Marvel news, um, the Marvel Netflix shows leave Netflix. I don't even know how this happens. Like, doesn't Netflix have the right to the their own shows? Like, I get it. They're with Marvel IP, but, like, why are they leaving? Apparently, the shows are all leaving the platform for good at the end of February. The rights to these series are reverting back to Disney. That must have been one heck of a contract they wrote that Disney can just yoink them back even though Netflix helped make them. Must have been one heck of a contract. But maybe Netflix didn't help make them and they just slapped their logo on it. That's it. Um, however, a new home for the shows have not been confirmed yet. Obviously, the expectation is that they go to Disney Plus or Hulu. Um, I, I think it's, it's really weird, but it's kind of like Deadpool, right? Deadpool's not on Disney Plus. And I kind of think these shows shouldn't be on Disney Plus either, <laughs> Because in the same way I said it was like kind of weird that um, there's like a small sex scene in Eternals that like didn't even really mean anything. There's like some really passionate sex scenes in these Marvel Netflix shows. Um, specifically in Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, I believe. Maybe in some of the other ones too. But um, those are the ones I remember. And it would be weird if that was just on Disney+. Plus. Like, they really need to... I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think the, the actual move... The only reason I think it's weird is because Disney+, Plus just advertises itself as a family-friendly platform. And so that's where I think it's a little weird. But I honestly think Disney Plus should just change their platform to uh, have like an adult tab where Deadpool and the Marvel Netflix shows can go and Splash can go in its raw form and they don't have to CG the hair to cover a butt. Like stuff like that, that they, they just need to put an adult tab in Disney Plus. With, with all that stuff um, that the search will never give you any of the movies from, but the tab is there. I think that's the better solution rather than 
constantly dividing stuff between the two platforms because it is a little confusing about where to find Marvel stuff because it's like the X-Men stuff, right? You're going to be able to find every X-Men movie on Disney Plus except for Logan and the Deadpool stuff. And that's just weird to me. <laughs> that's just weird to me. So th- I-, I think they should throw it on Disney Plus but put it uh, as an adult tab like they have the star wars thing they have the uh marvel they have national geographic and then you could have adult (laughs) and you could call it something that kids aren't interested in call it late night you know like the classic if it's late night television it's not for kids you know Uh, i i think that's the move but uh in reality, I think the shows will just go to Hulu. But I think the main reason they haven't announced where it's going is probably... Well, maybe they can't. Maybe they can't announce where it's going until they get it back, which they still have two weeks for. So that would be one good reason. Uh, the other other reason is I think they're not sure where to put it. I think they really want to put it on Disney+. Plus, But if they do, then they should also put Deadpool and Logan on Disney plus as well. And several other Hulu films that are on Hulu. Um, And so kind of a weird one. If you're wondering why Hulu still exists, it's because Hulu is not totally owned by Disney. It is 60% owned by Disney, 30% owned by Comcast. I think that's right. And 10% owned by like, et cetera. (laughs) Um, so we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Um, but Hulu is just for the U S I believe. Um, I think internationally, see, that's the other thing is internationally. I'm pretty sure Logan is on Disney plus internationally, but it's behind a different tab. Like, I think it's like Disney Plus Stars or something. Is that what it's called? I used to know. Hot Stars. Disney Plus Hot Stars, maybe? Uh, I think that's where they hide the Hulu stuff internationally. Uh, because Disney does have most of the release distribution rights for most of the stuff on Hulu. But not all. Um so we'll have to wait and see. All right, the big one, it dropped. Ian, I mean, if you want to get in here, you can get in here. We can just talk about this. Uh, <laughs> but Doctor Strange 2 dropped a trailer. It also dropped a little 20, 30 second short during the Super Bowl. And man, is it so much to talk about. I can't wait to get into this to unpack it. Um, but yeah, the, let me pull up the Dr. Strange trailer. Cause I want to go through this whole thing. It was awesome. It, it looks like a spectacular trailer. Honestly, I was like a little bit excited for the movie. I didn't know the movie would be this. <laughs> I, I did not know the movie would be this. And like I was, like I said, I was excited, but man, did this trailer blow away my expectations. Um, it's it looks stunning. 
This movie looks awesome. This movie looks as awesome as the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, maybe even more. Um, we open up with Doctor Strange, you know, like a little focused every night. I dream the same dream. And, you know, it's some like dark dimension area. He's seeing some travesties. He's watching a dude get pulled apart. See, this scene is very clearly not from his dream because right behind it, there's a star, which is typically how um, it looks freaky and I'm into it. Yeah, for sure. That like very vibrant image where he's still talking about his dream before he wakes up, I think very clearly can't be related to his dream because right behind the person being, um, I forget what the word is when you have all your limbs pulled apart. Um, I forget what the word is, but uh, right behind it, there's a star, a blue star that looks kind of like a portal. And that's because it is, that is Miss America Chavez's powers envisioned. We get to see it right there with the star. So I don't think that's part of his dream. I think that's a different part of the movie um something else that miss america chavez is trying to teleport someone uh but yeah we see this very dark looking area this kind of tower bunch of bones um there's like an attack there's some weird mummy monster i don't know i don't know what to say about it <laughs> i don't really know what this thing is but it seems to be yelling at Miss America again. Imagine the physics and calculations needed to make a star-shaped portal. Well, all her portals are defaultly star-shaped, so no problem. Like, that's the baseline. If anything, she'd have to do, like, more complicated stuff to change it. That's just the way it is. Also, would it change? It's kind of just the doorway, right? You just shape the door a little differently. It's the it's like as different as a circle is from a square, but we we accept that those portals are okay. That you could have a square rectangular portal or a circular portal. I mean, if in-world scientists try to study, but that's kind of my point, is like it's so inherently like the portals are so inherently magical that it's just like a frame, right? It doesn't matter what the shape is. It's just a frame. Like you can have circular portals and rectangular portals, and that's fine. Why would a star change it? Like it's just a frame. Uh, but yeah, so there's some weird mummy monster that looks really creepy, and I'm super into it. I don't know what it is, uh, but it looks like some good nightmare fuel for a moment. Um, wow, I paused on a frame that I didn't see before. Uh, <laughs> it flashes by so fast. Uh, we see a Doctor Strange in a different costume. Also, I think a different haircut, leading me to believe that it's a different Doctor Strange. And, and this is where it's going to become important. We got to start counting Doctor Stranges in this trailer. So we're up to, like, of course, the Doctor Strange that we follow. And now we're up to this other one that's dressed a little different, has a little bit of a different haircut. Um number two we're gonna call him uh and he's got this black and red robes going on 
Uh, and then Doctor Strange wakes up. So maybe his dream is like just about the multiverse in general. That's his nightmare. That's reasonable. Uh, we get to see the watch again. That's a great callback to the original movie. And he has a great line saying, every night I dream the same dream. And it's like horrifying stuff. And then when I wake, the nightmare begins. Ooh, good trauma for the character. And then we get the Marvel logo, of course. I'm not looking that deep for spoilers within the Marvel logo, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> then Doctor Strange pulls some objects up with magic that looks very similar to Wanda's methodology. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, it also kind of transitions to Wanda for a moment. I can't tell if she's in the scene. But it does look like Wanda might be there. Um, and they close it into a book, perhaps the Darkhold from uh, from WandaVision. And then we get Wong doing Wong things. You cannot control everything strange. Good point. The real question is, why are we following Doctor Strange and not following Wong, right? I mean, Wong is the Sorcerer Supreme. It's kind of his responsibility to stop this. Don't get me wrong. It's Doctor Strange's mistake. But it's Wong's job to set it right. Right? He's the Sorcerer Supreme. It's his job to make it right. Um, looking at every instance of Doctor Strange within the MCU's character completely makes sense except his frivolous use of magic in No Way Home. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, this movie should totally be about Wong. Unless Wong dies. Which is one of my theories. But... Um, <laughs> uh, because like Wong is the Sorcerer Supreme. Like, don't get me wrong, it's Doctor Strange's mistake that he should make right, but it's Wong's job to actually make it right. That's the job of the Sorcerer Supreme. To clean up other people's messes. <laughs> uh, you opened a doorway. We don't know who or what will walk through it. Sure we do. It'll be other Doctor Strange's. Uh, we get to see Christine Palmer, which for a moment way back when i wasn't even sure she'd be in the movie so i'm happy to see it and then we get some wanda stuff where she's still meditating doctor strange with wanda looks like good stuff um one of the magic schools gets attacked and it looks like there's some sort of minotaur student i don't know if that's an iconic character i'm sure it is but i'm not familiar uh, they open a door into kind of what looks a little bit like the realm of the Watcher a little bit. It looks a little bit like the realm of the Watcher, and they're all looking through it. If he hadn't used magic in No Way Home, you would have said he'd been replaced with a scroll. Yeah, I guess. Because he's acting in character. If he doesn't cast the magic, then he's replaced. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it kind of goes either way. And then we see this kind of new version of Mordo with the, the dreads. A lot of people are theorizing it's Sorcerer Supreme Mordo. Maybe from an alternate universe. Maybe part of the Illuminati. 
uh, looking like some good stuff. We get some really cool frames about like reality twisting in on itself in this cold, bleak space. Uh, I think the aesthetics just look amazing in this movie. And then we get some cuffs on Doctor Strange. I feel like he, here's the big thing about like Doctor Strange in this movie. He seems to be wearing blue in almost every scene. So anytime it's a Doctor Strange not wearing blue, I think it's a different Doctor Strange. Um, he's being escorted by some Ultron bots, which are pretty cool in this very futuristic looking place. And then we get kind of a chamber of five or six individuals. It's kind of hard to tell how many chairs there are, which everyone's believing I myself am believing it's some sort of multiversal Illuminati, uh, which if you don't know anything about the Illuminati in the comic books, uh, it's basically Mr. Fantastic, Iron Man, uh, Black Bolt, Namor. How many am I at? Four. <laughs> I'm already forgetting. Illuminati Marvel. Let's just Google it. Professor X, of course. Um, who did? Who am I missing? I guess that's it. Doctor Strange, Professor X, Mister Fantastic, Namor, Iron Man, and Black Bolt. If I didn't say that. Um. And then Black Panther and Captain America were also invited to be a part of it. But Captain America basically said that this idea is wrong. And I'll tell you what the idea is in a second. And then Black Panther said, hey, you guys can do it. I just don't want to be a part of it. Because Captain America is kind of right. Um, but basically, they decided that they would start taking a more proactive role in the hero business that they would actually go and seek out and solve threats that uh well they have always been reoccurring and so the kree have been a nuisance to uh to earth so they went to the kree if you don't remember the kree are the people that kind of brainwashed captain marvel uh the kree uh, they basically go to the Kree and just openly threaten the Kree to say, stay away from Earth. Um, and they show what they're capable of. And so, and sure enough, the Kree kind of stop invading <laughs> for a while after that. Uh, I don't think the Kree have invaded since. So I guess it worked in the comics. And then, um, and then the next thing they seek out is they realize how many times the infinity stones have been gathered and used against earth. So they decide that they'll gather the infinity stones and each take them for themselves. So they go get them and each one of them keeps an infinity stone. Um, but overall it's supposed to be this communication dialogue because each member of it is from a different team whether it's the fantastic four the x-men the avengers the inhumans um they're they're all from different teams atlantis and so it creates a, a much more open dialogue between the heroes that don't always communicate very often 
Uh, and it ends up saving the world a couple of times, but for the most part, everyone kind of agrees that like they should have just openly talked about what they were doing. Um, and it ultimately, ultimately, uh, kind of inspired the comic book of the Ultimates. In the Ultimates, they talk about how, uh, which is a completely different group of heroes, they basically talk about how they're going to do what the Illuminati basically set out to do, which is actually solve problems. And so one of the problems they solved is Galactus, the world eater. And they make it so that he's no longer a world eater. And that's an interesting thing. An interesting dynamic change to Galactus. Um, and it talks a lot about Galactus's origins and how that all went down. Um so the Illuminati is a big deal in Marvel Comics. Um, where were we? And so we see those those people, and a couple of those chairs are filled, perhaps by Sorcerer Supreme Mordo, perhaps by um, uh, Dark Doctor Strange, I don't know, perhaps by Mr. Fantastic. Um, and Mr. Fantastic would be the big shock if we didn't hear a voice say we should tell him the truth and then it very clearly shows a bald man from the backside and it looks a lot like patrick stewart it sounds like patrick stewart and if it if it sounds like patrick stewart and looks like patrick stewart it must be patrick stewart and man is that exciting to see our first I mean, I guess Wanda and Quicksilver are technically our first mutants in the MCU, but to see our first X-Men in the MCU, and that's so exciting to me to see Professor X, Professor X there. It looks awesome. I can't wait for it. It's very exciting. It's also crazy that they would kind of reveal that in the first trailer when Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield didn't get revealed at all in any trailer of Spider-Man stuff. So I kind of feel like I'm like, is there even more that they're hiding <laughs> that they would reveal Professor X? Um, uh, then we see what's going on here. Doctor Strange wrestle someone. Who's he wrestling here? Enter a new dimension. I can't tell who it is. Maybe it's Miss America, but I can't tell if she has the star on the back. Um, uh, and then Dr. Strange talking to dark Dr. Strange, or I guess they're calling him sinister strange. That's a good name. Sinister strange. Although that just makes me think of Mr. Sinister. <laughs> we see more, more sorcerers doing stuff, more wizards. And then Scarlet, Witch gets to say a really good line. You break the rules and become the hero it's taking a while. I do it and become the enemy. And then Wanda's looking at herself back in Westview in the WandaVision series. That doesn't seem fair, she even says. Hold on, let me rewind. I just saw something interesting. Oh, it looks like Mordo attacks Strange in the, the very fancy place, perhaps. Uh, Wanda's got some blood on her. Let me rewind that a bit. Looks like more stuff is happening. Miss America's punching something. Uh, we get the Shumagorath, probably. I think it's the Shumagorath. 
Um, Wanda looks all bloody doing stuff. Perhaps rewriting reality there. It definitely seems like it. And then we get this really dark, dark idea here. Um, also in the other... Uh, in the other... Um, like short 30 second thing we got from the Super Bowl, we see a much dark version of darker version of Wanda. And I don't know if it's zombie Wanda or just evil Wanda. Uh, both could be equally valid because of the next thing we see, which is a sorcerer with a bunch of dark entities climbing out of him and crawling out of him. And it looks to be zombie Dr. Strange, which is exciting. <laughs> oh man this this looks so good i'm so excited for it it looks crazy i'm sure there's plenty of stuff i missed but it, it looks so good that's the trailer it looks awesome um i'm definitely going to be re-watching this one because it really builds up my anticipation for the movie um uh, and i'm just excited for it uh, there is something that, of course, I missed that people are talking about. And uh, if Ian's still around, he'll he'll perk up at this one. That people are thinking that Deadpool, which is rumored to be in Doctor Strange 2, but so is everyone else. So I don't really take it for to mean anything. However, uh, people are wondering if Deadpool was spotted in the latest Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness poster. The poster shows a bunch of shredded glass with different Doctor Stranges, different Mordos. I think there's a Wong. I think there's um, some Wandas. I'm not quite sure who these other characters are. But in one shard of glass, it appears to be... I don't know how people saw this. I'm not going to lie. I don't know how people saw this. Because it's a very tiny piece of glass. I can't even find it on the actual poster, to be honest. But they've zoomed in. And it does look like Deadpool with his finger in front of his lips shushing the audience. Now, anyone who saw this definitely did not shush and immediately announced it, which I think is kind of funny that if it is Deadpool, he's telling you to be quiet about it, but they revealed it anyways. Uh, <laughs> so could be, could be Deadpool. Uh, so let's see, Let, let's see what happens. Um, even if it is Deadpool, that doesn't necessarily mean that Deadpool's in the movie, to be clear. Because if you think about, it's a very similar image to like the what if opening credits kind of thing with the shards of glass, the triangles. Um, and not everything on those shards of glasses in the show. So it could be there and just not in the movie, but just a fun little Easter egg. Or it could be in the movie, which would be cool. Uh, I don't know. This movie looks super epic already. 
I can't wait to see what happens in it. Um, it's. I think I said Avatar Two was my most anticipated of the year. I, it has to be though, right? Because it's twelve years in the making, so it still has to be Avatar Two. But man, is Doctor Strange the one I'm like actually the most anticipated for? <laughs> is there a difference between anticipation and excitement? If there is, then maybe that's the difference. Um, but yeah, that is all the news we have this week. It was, it was a really big week of stuff. Really very fun. Uh, don't forget, Friday we will be talking the Peacemaker finale. Uh, and then next week, Wednesday, we will be talking um, something. What is that movie called? Uncharted. We'll be talking Uncharted next week. Also, whatever movie news drops. That's just kind of the way we do things. Um, and so that is the plan going forward. Um, I can't wait for it. Uh, appreciate you all for tuning in. And um, Uncharted next week, Peacemaker this Friday. Should be a good one. Uh, I'm Joshua Troop. This is Unanimous Indecision. We'll catch you next time.